Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Michael Klinkner. Michael is a licensed clinical social worker with over 22 years of experience helping children, adolescents, and adults in therapy. Michael has specialty in training in cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and neurolinguistic programming. Currently, Michael is working with Evolve Counseling in Arizona, where he treats a variety of issues such as anxiety, depression, trauma, and ADHD, focusing primarily on children, teens, and adolescent populations. In addition to outpatient services, Michael also teaches graduate level courses for the School of Social Work at Arizona State University. In our podcast today, I'm pretty excited as we get to talk about teens and adolescent mental wellness. Michael, so nice to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Graham. It's my pleasure. Hey, you know, I always like getting to know our guests a little bit and giving our listeners kind of a, an inside understanding of uh, you and not just what you're doing, but kind of what brought you in this field, working with teens, that season of our, of our development. Give us a little bit of background. Give us a two-minute drill on that, if you would. Absolutely. I was wired for this, and I, I got that very early on. And so in high school, I was taking psych classes. I didn't know exactly where I wanted the journey to go, but I, I knew that I wanted to work with kids from like those very early stages. And so like I very much remember I'm from Pittsburgh. And so reading like a newspaper article where they found one of those situations where they found a baby in a dumpster. And like oh, yeah. my whole thought at the time was somebody better do something to help out that kid. And mm -hmm. it's been about that way for me ever since where it's like the, I get that I'm very lucky. I get that I've been extraordinarily privileged, you know, but by the grace of God, you know, it could have gone yeah. some other way. And so I'm lucky. So I, I give back because I can, and I feel like I I'm called and wired to be able to pull this stuff off. So I do. That's really good. I love the idea that if we have opportunities, sometimes we refer to it as privilege. We get to steward that in ways that really benefits others and yeah. that really leaves an impact in some very, very measurable and very, some very life-changing and long, long-standing ways. You know, in your work with teens, I, I, I want our listeners to understand, you know, we, we have different developmental stages in our work, elementary school, younger kids, teens, you know, young adults, later adults, et cetera. And you're in the area of working with teens, adolescents. What are you seeing being some of the challenges of those that are coming to see you nowadays in this age range that so you're seeing kind of being pretty unique? What's coming through your door? Yeah, so much more anxiety than we had seen previously. COVID continues to have lasting results. And mm -hmm. so what those couple, what these years have been like, especially 2020, the shutdown year, what school was like for them, the recovery process afterwards, lots of schools here in Arizona, like we were hybrid where, you know, mm -hmm. they would go to school one day and then they were on screens another day and then back and forth. And like, yeah. depending on if someone around you tested positive, then you had to go home for a week too. And like, what that meant for their education has been really rough and hard to recover from, as well as then the associated like fears that is yes. that have really and so like there's like developmentally over time you know we will as humans just gradually like get more nervous and get more worried and like attend to more things like as we become adults and realize there's more things to be worried about. Yeah, this those these couple of years have been have put like hyperspeed on that. And so where it would usually take about 10 years to get a teenager to the level of worry and caring and concern that they have, it's taken them too. And so 
they're worried like they're 25, 26 year olds with like major problems on the horizon because they learned like the world can be so scary and so unsafe and so completely out of control. You're not supposed to know that when you're 14, 15, you're supposed to just be going through life and figure out if you're going to go to homecoming or not. That's really they true. They got to learn about like, am I, you know, are we going to make it today? And like, what's going to happen to my parents' income? And like, oh, no. you know, are we, are we going to be okay? Yeah. I think it's really good. You know, we're wired, aren't we? For predictability, certainty, security. I mean, we, we, we need those things in order to kind of organize life such that we can, like you just said, kind of be in it, let things naturally develop. But with COVID in the last couple of years, things really have been turned upside down with unpredictability, with fear, with irrational fear at times, with that worry, with that unknowing, you know, of coming into play. And, you know, those, those life-threatening things that, you know, are we going to die or is, you know, grandma going to die or all these things that kind of come into question that were really, really hard for teens to be going through. So I can understand, you know, that anxiety being up. What else do you see coming through your door? Well, associated with it, then there's all these additional pressures about school because everybody got behind or especially student athletes that had been hoping for a scholarship or had been looking that way where they lost a year. And so I've got a couple of baseball players, for example, where they they had real thoughts and shots about division one, division two baseball that got lost because one, they lost their year of baseball out here. So there was no scouting. They had no opportunity. And then when you add in based on NCAA rules, lots of kids just got an extra year of eligibility. Yeah, absolutely. And so like the seniors didn't have to graduate, they stayed. And so these plans that had been baseball, serious business out here, like baseball, softball is a big deal. And so kids had for like years and years been building towards like that possibility. And like, maybe that's how they're going to not necessarily like hopes to be a pro, but hopes to play. And that's how they're going to play for school was then suddenly taken away because of stuff they can't control. And what are you supposed to do? So then the pressure to perform and then pressure for grades has really been increased as a result too, because everybody kind of missed a year or two, but that doesn't matter. The state standards are still, you have to know these things by the end of this year. Hey, I'm really sorry you missed out on eighth grade, tough year. Anyway, here's your freshman tests that you have to pass or you don't get to go forward. Right. (laughs) Right. Like brutal for parents then too, has been a very difficult set of challenges because their kids are missing out on all these things that are now coming to a head now and no one knows how to navigate it and nobody knows what to do. And so the parents then are having to really reframe about what's important and what matters versus what doesn't and what's not important and like how to let a kid be a kid versus maybe some high expectations or pushing a kid towards excellence. That's been a big change for parents as well that they don't necessarily know how to do which then puts additional pressures and stressors on the home environment. Yeah. So you're talking not just about some of the stressors coming or being rooted in, in school related things or athletics as an example, but you're also yeah. talking about the family system itself. Build that out just a wee bit for us more. Some of the family system issues that you're noticing. Sure. So for a lot of kids, especially, so I'm constantly pushing parents towards emphasize effort versus outcome. So Mm -hmm. we can't always control outcomes. We can control our efforts towards things and we can control our attitude while making that effort. But so for example, there might, I might try really hard in a class, but if the teacher doesn't like me, I'm only going to get so high of a grade. Or if, you know, it's, you know, if, if they're out to get me, like I may get a B minus on a paper that someone else would have got an A minus on because the teacher likes them better. I can't control that stuff. There's nothing I can do. And so then the, the emphasis for parents is don't pay attention to the grades. 
Yes. Pay attention to, is your kid doing all their homework? Are they trying really hard? Yeah. Are they studying for their tests? And that's what they got. And I'll, if they scrape together a C plus, but they tried so hard and like their brain doesn't do algebra two very well, but they can, they've put everything they can into that and got a C plus as a parent, you should inherently be much more proud of that than an easy A they got in like whatever class they took. That's just super easy for like history. Then where like your brain just does that well and right. you can cruise right through push on like those other things for parents versus expectations and like, they, you know, are they meeting their potential? I love this idea. I've used it quite a bit in sports when I've coached the idea of effort versus outcomes, you know, and, and we think, well, I'm going to be good if I can score 20 points or if I can get in, you know, I talked to a gal the other day, she has a 4.7. Who gets a 4.7? How do you get a 4.7? Good, good night. But this idea that's, you know, the outcomes, the successes, that's how we measure ourselves. But boy, those are sure apt to be dependent upon a number of other things. And you're talking here, effort versus performance. You're talking about locus of control, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And you're saying, I'm only, if, I, if it's externally, I'm only going to be as good as those things that I'm successful in or have a good outcome with or how people respond to me. Well, I'll be good if those things line up versus the effort piece. And I love the idea of right-sizing what success really looks like. And if we do right things repeatedly over time, we're going to develop mastery and competence and good things will happen through the course of our lives. Even if in the short term, you know, we're experiencing some challenges, the effort is everything, isn't it? Absolutely. And well, your attitude while making that effort. So if you're trying yeah. hard and you're pleasant and you can, like, you can be part of a team or you can be coachable or you can be taught, that's as good as it gets. And so you're trying yeah. really hard. You're giving it everything you have, whatever that is. Yes. You have a good attitude, even when things don't go right, you'll be okay in life. You're like, your that's emotional right. intelligence that's is going right. to be so high, which is yeah. such a better skill set to have. And actually a much more of a predictor of success than right. IQ ever is. Yes. And that work ethic you get along the way, you know, despite adversity, despite things not being fair, you know that if you keep working hard, therein lies that merit piece that says I get to be proud of myself regardless, because I know the effort I put in. And that's something that I, I, I really like the esteem and value being built around. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I refer to baseball is a good metaphor for me for this stuff, too. It's that as a pitcher, you can you can pitch the perfect pitch mm -hmm. and that guy might still knock. They could still knock it out. And so right. like we're softball pitcher, the same thing. Like you can, you can put it exactly where you want it to and have the movement you wanted to. And right. that ball could still be flying over your head. That's life. You can do everything right. And the wind blows and now here you got it. That's right. Your task is just put it over the plate as best you can. Yeah, that's yep. good. So we're talking about some of the challenges our young people are going through with school. Like you just mentioned, coming out of COVID expectations, academics, losing a year. You're talking about some of the family pressures and ways to right-size thinking about yep. success and how parents can best teach children some of the most important aspects of our life. Good work ethics, measuring success in right ways, you know, tolerating frustration, et cetera. Talk a little bit about the stressors coming in your door when kids are talking about peer-to-peer -peer type things. What are they experiencing nowadays that can build in some challenges for them? Well, this part's so hard. And so for, so I'm Gen X. And so everything from like my generation and earlier, mm -hmm. the parenting side is really hard because we're like immigrants into what our kids are dealing with as far as social media, as far as electronics, as far as the roles that each of those play. Cause I didn't grow up with any of those things. I didn't grow up with email. And so mm -hmm. the idea that then I'm going to have know how to navigate right. what 
like social media friendships, what that means, and also just real basic things of for teenage boys, it is actually valuable and reasonable social interaction to be playing some video game and to be on Discord and to be interacting with my group of friends because we're all in there together. We're all talking together. We're all having fun and laughing. Are we face-to-face? No, but those are reasonable interactions. Me as a parent, I'm like, no, 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 you could go hang out. You have to go outside and go play basketball or go pick up like a pickup game, a wiffle ball or something. And ideally, can that stuff be happening? Sure. But then what socialization looks like now is very, very different than we have seen before. And it doesn't make it bad. It just makes it different. And so for kids, you'll have school friends, ones who you sit with at lunch, ones who you sit like next to in class, people that you call like acquaintance or school friends. And then they're they're the people that you spend time with outside of school, which may be in your neighborhood or maybe people that you're closer with. How you foster those relationships, how you deepen those relationships, how you make those meaningful can be difficult because there's so much group interactions. And also sometimes there's not a frame of reference for it. You haven't, you haven't picked it up necessarily. And so having to navigate that both in person, virtual, and then also like on social media, which is an animal by itself, is a lot for kids to have to navigate and do each of those well with very little supports because everyone's making it up as we go along anyway. Really good. You're talking about then another type of socialization that, you know, you and I, I'm a, I'm a little bit older, but different generation, but we, we didn't have some of those things, obviously. And this is kind of how they do it now. Are there, are there benefits to the socialization taking place now online? And are there some drawbacks that, you know, we parenting these interactions have to take into consideration? The real upsides that are possible is the ability to be influenced and have contact with people who you wouldn't have otherwise. Right. And so in my small, like, you know, in my neighborhood, who am I going to be able to be around is limited. When you broaden that to it's potentially everybody who's like playing this game or everybody who's on this platform or everybody who's doing whatever at a time, I can interact with somebody like a group of people, a race of people that I would have never had any exposure to otherwise. And so you get a lot of that. And it really honestly matters. Like when kids are saying like, I have a friend in India and we'll make sure to do it. And like, then they're honestly talking with somebody who's like, there in a different country doing that thing that you can both speak English and get through it, that would have never happened. Otherwise, those are yes. those opportunities are so meaningful. The kids are end up so much more worldly as a result of a lot of those things. That's really good. And the downside? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Lots of downside. That's the, <laughs> that's the tough part. Well, help um, me understand maybe a couple of the top ones of that. Yeah. So there's so much bullying. There's so much awful treatment of each other. Because it's easy because there's no repercussions. So I can say, I can tell you to go kill yourself. And I can tell you like you deserve to die because I don't actually really know you or I don't care. And so you can, you would never say that to somebody's face, but I'll type it to you. No problem. Or I will, I'll put it up on, like, if you post a picture on, you know, on your snap and my comment is, is like, you look so stupid, you should die. Yeah. There's no repercussions for that. I wouldn't, you're not going to say that to somebody's face, but I can put that up there and I can say those things. And they have big impacts See, to see that put on somebody's picture like that, as you can imagine how that would feel for an adult, let alone some 14, 15 year old trying to navigate those things whose self-esteem yeah. isn't set anyway. There's no accountability around that. Is there anymore? Yeah. And it's, and it's so hard to track down too, because it may be some random person or even somebody, you know, from your school, but then again, I can have 10 fake accounts and say whatever I want to on any of those accounts. Is anybody tracking back my IP address? 
Probably yeah. not. That's probably yeah. not a realistic thing. Yeah. It's a, a, a real challenge. You know, we look at screen time and, and nothing is ever all bad. You know, it's like food. Right. If you eat it in balance, you know, it's, it's a great thing. If you're using, you know, social media and, and balance, it can be a really great and helpful thing. So I, I, nothing is all bad and things in balance are usually typically best. But some of the challenging things is we know, you know, like you're saying, depression, anxiety, suicide have gone up pretty no- noticeably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the idea of this is happening to our young people. I oftentimes, when I talk to parents, I'm saying, you know, behind every every program that they're using or game or whatever site they're on, there are 40 psychologists, behavioral analysts, making sure that they track and are able to hold and keep your, your child's attention from bells and whistles and bows, intermittent reinforcement like Vegas. They really hold one's attention, don't they? And it's very hard yeah. for children to navigate something that is so powerful that basically not only is psychologically, you know, keeping them hooked through that type of reinforcement, but also their chemical changes going off. That's also linking their further use of these games, et cetera. So it's kind of multi-level and what keeps them hooked, isn't it? Absolutely. That's, they call it the race to the brainstem, where the yes. people that are in charge of social media or in charge of games or in charge of any of those things where we're going to try to find the, the most inherently dopamine producing pleasing set of circumstances to keep you scrolling to keep you on our site to keep you playing the game as is possible and so like for the first time the smartest people in the world take a job where they're designed to 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 make things to make us addicted to that thing and that's never been true before there's never been a time where if i'm at the top of my class what's my job going to be probably software development for some company who's going to create something where I'm going to try to get you addicted to it. Yeah. It's so crazy. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're paying people to create, to create addictions. Yeah. That's really well put. I haven't, I haven't heard that before race to the brainstem, but that makes so much sense to me. We talk a lot too about, like you said, there's digital candy and there's digital vegetables. And mm-hmm. so there's no way around screens. There's so many, um, both of my kids, I have a, a high schooler and a middle schooler. Yeah. And they both have Chromebooks and there's lots of stuff that happens through the Chromebooks. And there's times where teachers will tell them to get out your phone and take a picture of what I wrote on the board. So yeah. the screens are inevitable, but that's okay. Cause that's vegetables. Right. You're allowed to, you know, have as much as you can of those is candy inherently bad. No, when you have too much, you get obese. Right. Same thing with the virtual candy or digital candy. You can have some of it. You just have to be careful about how much and what kind of doses and then what kind We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com slash B-H-T, and then click to Jobs Marketplace. 
If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. I really appreciate you sharing kind of something personal. Just going back to something you said earlier too, the race of the brainstem, keeping people, you know, hooked and all the dopamine. People don't appreciate, but you know, when when you become, let's use your word again, addicted, and you don't have access, you begin to jones. You know, people begin to kind of shake and literally jones when they can't yep. access something or they can't kind of quickly check. And you just you see that pattern that gets in there, and that's real. Well, because if if they've been playing a game for two, three, four hours, or they've yeah. been scrolling through TikTok through two or three hours. When you then come in as a parent and be like, okay, it's dinner time. You need to come down. <laughs> and you're asking them to just put that away. The kids are jerks in that moment because they're literally withdrawn. They've yeah. been in this ongoing dopamine feeding system where we're like, yes. put it down and like, and we expect you to be okay. No, 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 absolutely not. You're right. You're jonesing. They're going to get right. twitchy. They're going to, and like personality wise, it's like, how dare you take that away from me? Right. Absolutely. It's rough. And it's not the kid's fault either. No, it's not. You're getting dopamine deprived all of a sudden. Like it's the, the game was doing, or like TikTok was doing just what it's supposed to do. You're yeah. supposed to never want to leave it. And so when we make you, oh, yeah. you hate it and hate yeah. us for making you do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're, you know, you're, you're being somewhat transparent just a few minutes back saying that with your high schooler and your younger child. May I ask how you organize and set this up in your home in terms of expectations and a framework for a balance of vegetables and a balance of candy? How do you do that? From very early on, we started having the the communication with them about the expectations, about what's okay versus what not isn't okay. Uh, We've been in their phones monitoring like what their usage is, where are they going? They're, they can't just have any social media apps. There has to be a certain, I'm not a big believer in like age, therefore dictates you can have something. So just because you're 14 years old, now you can have Snapchat. It's been much more about the, so for those super complicated ones and the tougher ones, Snapchat's a very tough one. Instagram's a tough one. Can you navigate what it's like to get those negative comments and to put a picture up and to get no likes and what that's like, and like, how do you handle those things? Yeah. And what can you put it down? Can you spend reasonable periods of time? And once you can display that, cool, then you can do the next thing. And also, as you've reported to me, when something dangerous happens, when somebody like slips into your DMs and is saying something inappropriate, that stuff just happens. Even on private accounts, you know, adult males are soliciting pictures from 12 year old girls. And so it's the, when that happens, can you handle it? When they push on you, like, do you delete, do you block? And do you tell us parents, if you can do that, then we're good. And we've had that in place all along the way. Don't get me wrong. It's been a total disaster sometimes. And like, some things have Mm -hmm. gone like really, really wrong. Lesson learned. We rebound, keep going. And, and, you know, keep me, it keeps me up at night too. Don't get me wrong. But it's the early intervention and just the idea of them wrapping their head around, it's inherently dangerous out there. And part of my job is to help protect you from the dangerous things, just like anything else. You know, like you can't drive a car right now either. That's right. Our kids are sheep and there are wolves out there and we get to be the sheepdogs, you know, and we get to kind of monitor things and be available for them to. So you're starting with, you know, it, it just because you're a certain age does not mean there's a maturity there. And that can apply to just because you're 16, you can drive doesn't mean you're mature enough to drive. And I think there's a a really good process of coming alongside our children to say, hey, these are some of the response, you know, the the responsibilities and the things you have to have and 
in terms of your emotional muscle and maturity, et cetera, to be able to do these things. I like that start. May I ask something as basic as time allotments, you know, for these things? How much candy are you allowing your kids each day? So there, so the research is at about 16 and older, it's about two hours per day is the max, which is a lot. Anything below that, there, there's recommendations from lots of different places that usually have to do with about a half an hour to an hour. That's a reasonable amount of time. And so in working with parents and like even with my own kids, and so we're about to start fall break. And yeah. so are they going to be on their phones a whole lot more during that time? Well, of course, they've got a lot more downtime. They have more free time. We're going to monitor what they're doing. So it's going to increase. But it's also taking breaks. No one's allowed to go more than an hour without taking a break. Like after an hour, timer goes off. Put your stuff down, take a break, go get a drink of water, go walk around, come back to it in 10, 15 minutes. That's my recommendation to parents too. And so like during this time, they're going to be playing more video games. They're going to be on their phones more. They're going to be on whatever more. That's okay. It's two weeks. It's not the end of the world, mm -hmm. but just be really careful. So there's some games like Call of Duty, which depending on what you're doing might go longer than an hour. And that's yeah. legit. And like, and it's you and a team of your friends and you can't just turn that thing off because right. you're kind of like, you're leaving your friends high and dry. And like, right. I'm not playing with you anymore. And that's for real. So yeah. within reason, be flexible. So then you have to come to your kids and say like, okay, got it. When that game is over, it's been an hour. As soon as that mission is over, you got to be done. You Very need good. to take a break. If you start another one, it's done for the day. I hope you choose wisely. And then you just monitor it. Really good. So just in general, outside of vacation times or summer or break, you're saying the research is showing 16 and older, about two hours a day max. Those yep. younger than that, a half an hour to an hour a day. Depending on the kind kid. Of a, depending yep. on the kid is a pretty good prescribed thing. That, that's kind of just a nice reference. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah and it's you also going to be a lot of, you know, if they're able to handle it, then they, if they can handle an hour, they can handle an hour. If right. they, they don't, and after at half an hour, they are intolerable, then right. you've got, no matter what their age, you make your decisions based on your family, what makes the most sense. That's right. I like what you said earlier too. You know, we're having these conversations. We get to approach them in terms of limits or in terms of maybe even some gnarly behavior. You know, they come yep. out of those times prickly and pokey. We get to say, you know, this is not your fault per se. It's, it's not a blaming moment. It's this is a natural outcome of this kind of usage. And this is pretty standard. So if you can handle it, well, then that's your, that, that's your dosage that works. If you cannot... All that's telling us is that you're not bad per se, but this is the consequence for your amount of time. So we're going to lessen it and try and find out what the what the maximum you know dosage can be for you that there's not there's no consequence to it. That's such a good point because in working with parents and working with teens, it, again, like nobody has a frame of reference. This is no. everyone's first time doing this, and so that's what right. are the right answers? Let alone what are the right answers for what you're comfortable with, or like what makes sense for your kid. Any of those things, I don't, nobody has an answer. Like there's just not an answer. And so it's trial and error. If you're doing the best you can and with best intentions, mm -hmm. then you're, then you're parenting fine. Listen, we're all, we're all messing up all the time as parents. Absolutely. If we're trying hard, even when we make mistakes, that's an okay thing. And when you screw it up and then you get to talk to your kids about the, whoa, that was a mistake. I really did that wrong. Here's where I messed it up. You're then teaching your kids like, okay, I'm not perfect. It's okay to mess up. We just rebound. We apologize if we need to, and then you get going. Yeah, let's 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 name that. You know, you're talking about we're either winning in those moments as parents, or we're learning. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's one of those two. And and what you're yep. saying, you're kind of you're kind of 
giving us some grace, you know, as parents to come mm-hmm. to those moments. Talk about the the work you do in, in in counseling and encouraging parents to both be proactive, maybe even some some language you're helping them craft to talk to their teens about, hey, in this season of your life, here's some of the things that are going to be presented to you here, some of the inherent challenges and some of the great areas we're going to be looking forward to. How are you empowering parents that you work with? Most of the time, parents are trying really hard. They're doing the best they can. That's right. Just given the resources they, they have, if they had better resources, they'll do better. And so mm-hmm. most of my parents, like, we'll come up with what their parenting style is versus like, you know, if they're overly involved or like they're, they're too distant or like they're doing great or if they're too much of a, like an authoritarian kind of parent. Mm-hmm. And we'll pick a few things for them to work on. But generally speaking, we're not like doing a U-turn and going the other direction. Right. Having to make some nudges about the, okay, got it. Your intention is you want your kid to stop doing that behavior. Yes. You don't feel heard and understood and you feel like they're not listening. So you raise your voice in order to feel heard and understood to make sure that they're listening. Got mm-hmm. it. Makes sense. Just a bad idea because your kid then goes into a threat state and can't reasonably react. Okay. Let's just find a different way to approach it. So instead of yelling up the stairs, get off of your stupid game. Let's right. walk up, walk up the stairs, see right. where they're at. They may have headphones on and can't hear you, or they may be doing their homework or any of those things. That, and so it's just a lot of like those little skills and little nudges, yeah. in different directions, and just helping to validate that it's all really hard. You're doing your best. And if you can lean on your partner, and if you don't have your partner, who mm-hmm. are your go-to people, who are your supports, who can you vent to? And again, we need to learn all the time too. What are the resources? What are the books you're reading? What are the podcasts you're listening to? We're not perfect parents. What are the small but important things that you can do today? And that's what I spend most of my time doing, which is great because then it's just, those are parents who are trying really hard. Let me put some other skills in place. Let's track the heck out of those things. Yes. And then you can feel proud of the work you're doing. It's really good. So let me say as a parent, so Michael, I'm coming to see you and you know what? I just don't believe my teen wants to talk with me. You know, teens yeah. in these years don't want to talk with parents and they don't want to be around us. They really, they, they really don't. And I probably shouldn't talk about, so not just they don't want to talk with me, right? And I probably shouldn't talk about suicide. I probably shouldn't talk about, you know, things like drugs. Because if I talk about them, the kids are going to do them. You know, there's so much logic to that thought about the idea that if I bring up this thing, it's therefore going to make my kid more likely to do it. I can't argue against that. It's just not true. In the same way, like, so if like, my, you know, my happy, healthy kid, if I'm like, you know, hey, do you know about heroin? Have you ever heard of that? They're not going to then go, oh, yes, I now want to try some of those. And by the way, what's fentanyl? Because that sounds like fun too. That's not a thing. That's, that's never the way it goes. Although there is like some validity and logic to that thought. What actually mm-hmm. happens is the exact opposite. And so if I'm not talking to my kid about suicide and I'm not talking to my kids about drugs and I'm not talking about vaping and I'm not talking about pornography, they're yeah. having those conversations. It's just not with me. So then I'm leaving it up to their friends to raise them about those topics. Good luck. But Michael, are my kids really going to want to hear this from me? Yes, they absolutely will. And so in the beginning, just like whenever like with your parents, if they had the birds and the bees talk and it was really awkward, it made you twitchy and like, oh my gosh, stop it. Ideally though, there was the first conversation that was awkward, but hopefully your parents had a hundred conversations with you about that as you developed and later on. And so what that conversation looked like at eight or nine is yeah. very different than 16 or 17. Yeah. But because we've talked about it, there's an open door in the same way that also, and this is a good sneaky parent trick. 
is you don't have to talk to your kids about their own suicidal thoughts. It's around a lot lately, unfortunately. And there's a lot of like kids who are like kids and teens who are dying by suicide. We've had some as, as young as eight that have attempted or died. And so then we get to have those conversations as it hits the like the newspapers or when it's on the internet about like, hey, what's that yes. like for you? Like, you know, okay. what what do you think about that? Or how's it feel? Any of your friends that have said anything to you about it. So you can talk about the topic without having to talk about your kid. About like, hey, have you ever thought about suicide? No. But you can talk about suicide and you could, you know, they can talk about their friends without naming them so that they're not afraid you're gonna rat them out. But now you've broached that topic, it gave a safe place about like there's these hard things we can talk about. They're yes. going to feel a little uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable for both of us. And at the end of the day, then that's an open door if they ever need it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I really agree with you that kids need a valid source of information. They need, they need an, an honest, valid four one one. They can come and get information and kind of just bang up against that to see really what's true from what they're hearing and experiencing. To have somebody they can really trust give them that information. And I love the idea that, you know, we can oftentimes talk, this is a great parenting technique you're describing, kind of working in triangulation. Basically, you and I talking about that over there, we're almost working in displacement. And we're talking about something, but then it, it goes from that triangle to, you know, A, B, and C to more A to B, you know, over time. And I, I, I really like that technique. I think it's good. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a safer way sometimes to bring topics up uh, in a way that we can both get our arms around and talk about it before we talk about us. Uh, yeah, so it's really I'm grand. Like, like this just came up with my 12 year old is yeah. that there was, a, there was a, a local kid who he died cause he hung himself. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking about it cause I'm, I'm close into the situation. And so like, it was just coming up in like general conversation and she was asking about it and she said like, well, what happened to the kid? And I said, well, he hung himself. Mm-hmm. And my 12 year old went, I don't know what that means. What is that? And I'm like, okay, got it. Let's talk through that. And so of course she doesn't know what it means to hang herself. Like what? That's not, not going to come up. But like then it's the idea that then we got to then have that conversation so about good. super scary, isn't it? And then she followed up because she's super smart, thank goodness, where she said like, well, wait, who found them? And like, what happened after that? And what was that like? And I said, like, I had to talk to them about how the mom had to kick in the door and how scary that must have been for the mom and what that's like, which is just good conversation about yes, it is. there's scary things that happen. And things like suicide really affected people that got left behind. Yeah. What do you think about that? And so we got to have that good, difficult conversation about a topic like that. That was about, you know, somebody who she'll never know or never have any exposure to. But then we've now talked about suicide, how sometimes people do it. And then the right. effect on all the people that love that person who's now dead. That doesn't make her any more likely to hang herself. She right. now knows it's a thing. And she now knows what it means for those left behind. That's really meaningful conversation there, Michael. I appreciate sharing that. That's so good. Hey, we're uh, kind of winding down, but I always like to hear kind of give our listeners maybe kind of a hallmark story of how you've been working with somebody and somebody who's come through therapy with you and challenging, you know, challenged by some things that are all the things we're talking about here today. Give us a story of some of the benefits that people can experience, even at an early age, coming in as a teen and addressing these things in their life and kind of how it can set a great foundation for them later on in their life. So I had a a 15 year old who, unfortunately, she was touched by one of her teachers at school. And so as a result, then she had crippling anxiety where she wasn't able to like go into that school or walk past the classroom or like any of those things that any trigger associated with school at all, she was dead meat. And so of course she was falling behind. Of course she was dealing with 
too much. And she didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew for so long. They just knew she was defiant and getting high and skipping school all the time. Well, I got my grubby hands on her for a little while and were able to get to like what was actually happening to her and when and how mm. and able to then get through the associated beliefs about herself and her mm. body and like what sex is and what sex is supposed to be like and what's okay involving her parents and those conversations about the, hey guys, what do you want to teach her about, you know, sex? What do you guys want to teach her about like bodies and like men and women and dating and all that stuff? she is cruising through life now. She's a sophomore. She's got, she just got elected her sophomore class president where she's going to, this is a girl who wouldn't walk through the doors. She had to give a speech in front of her whole class to get them to like, like her and vote for her based on who she is as a person and promises that she could carry out. She's doing her grades are amazing. She's going to end up getting scholarships by the end of this. And that's all because she was super brave. Her parents worked really hard tried really hard, messed up all over the place and just did the next right thing. And she's just beaming with pride. I, I got the graduator. It's the, Hey, I'll see you in like a month. And if, you know, if you don't need it, cancel it, cancel it because I'm supposed to get out of your life as soon as I can done kiddo. We've like, we've done it. I offered to play like pomp and circumstance and have her walk down <laughs> the hallway. She wasn't down for that though. So like, it's it just ended some other way. That's really good, Michael. That's uh, what a great story. That's what therapy can offer. You know, sometimes, you know, life bangs us up and dents us and causes us to kind of stall in some areas or become kind of arrested in our development. And how nice when we can help things that have been kind of kinked up or stopped up, get worked through so that all the potential and actualization that's there in one's one's abilities really gets to come to fruition when that gets worked through. So that's a wonderful story of hope. Hey, as we come to a close today, we would love our listeners to find out ways that they can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing with Evolve Counseling. Give us some resources, would you? Sure. The website is evolvecounselingaz.com. My social media is Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and the, you know, and our YouTube. It's all Michael Klinkner Counseling. Really good. Really good. Well, Michael, you are certainly in the right field, my friend, and you got a great enthusiasm about you and And just a a really fun time being with you today. So thank you so much for being on our show. Great to be with you. Graham, thank you so much. What a pleasure. It's been nice. Hey, I want to thank you, our listeners as well, for joining Michael and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at tryathq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage if you would, tryathq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.